Hey folks, it's Richard here. Uh, in today's episode, I'm talking with my friend from Twitter, QC. Some of you may know him. Um, today's conversation is, I would say, less optimistic than usual. We talked about some of the dark side of this community building stuff, especially uh, we'd spent quite a lot of time talking about his experience in a cult uh, and, uh, yeah, just other difficult experiences of community building. Uh, he used the phrase community heartbreak, which really stuck with me. Um, so this conversation is a lot about what can go wrong and what are some of the warning signs you can look out for. Um, it was really meaningful to me. I'm still digesting it. Hopefully you get something out of it too. Thanks for listening. So thank you for joining me. Just to set context. I recently published a bunch of updates about micro solidarity, how do you build community, making good friends, blah, blah, blah. And you had some brief comments about kind of missteps that you've had or bad experiences of like trying to form community. And I I don't have much of the context, but just enough to go like, huh, there's probably something interesting there. Maybe by exploring it together, we could identify some patterns or pitfalls or I don't know, just help process the experience and see if we can learn anything from it. So yeah, yeah, anything you want to share is I'm, I'm game. Awesome. Um, so I guess the experiences that I was referring to when I said that are, uh, it, I, I could break them up into kind of three, three sets of experiences uh, mm -hmm. around like finding a crew and things like that. Uh, so like uh, maybe four, four sets of experiences. Just it's one I thought. Uh, so one is a set of experiences around um, like trying to find community among the rationalists, which is a thing I was doing for quite a long time. I mean, from like 2013 to 2018, let's say, so like six years or so, I was like trying pretty hard to find community among the rationalists. Um, and I was really hopeful about that for a long time, and then I eventually gave up entirely. So that was... Uh, that was unpleasant because it was a very large time investment. Um, like, you know, the irretrievable portion of my youth. Uh, so there's still a lot of, I've, I've tweeted about this sort of thing a lot. Also, it's just like my experience trying to relate to the rationalists and, and like really wanting them to be my people, but they just ended up not being my people. So that was, that's like a whole thing that I still, there's still many unresolved feelings there. Uh, and a kind of sub component of that experience uh, was I kind of got drawn into uh, a small cult inside the rationalists called Black Lotus, which I've also tweeted about, but less frequently. Um, that was a shorter experience, but it was like maybe more traumatic in some ways because the guy in charge of that group was very paranoid and like pretty emotionally abusive and like did a lot of harm uh, to other people and to me. And that was like, that was just really rough because I really like uh, that group was was very exciting to me for a lot of reasons, um, which we can get into in more detail. Uh, but just like I was really, I had a lot of hope there, and it was just like totally dashed. So it's another like heartbreak scenario. So I, I also mentioned um, in my comments to the micro solidarity talk that like I've been thinking in terms of like. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if there was like dating, but for friends and community and like if there was like a clearer sort of uh, social structure for like moving from like, hey, let 
how do we become friends? So like, how do we become like lifelong friends? Like, how do we become like a lifelong community together? Um, and I mentioned like wanting that for a long time. And uh, so, yeah, I guess this is a list of like my breakups, <laughs> you could say. Um, so that was kind of number two and kind of number three, uh, although this is this was sort of more casual and less painful, but number three was like, there was, there was a time when I was very excited about the circling and authentic related communities. So there are these communities in Austin and a few other places of people who are really into like authenticity and vulnerability and like uh, practices that encourage authenticity and vulnerability and sharing feelings and things like that. And I was really, I really liked those guys. You know, I hung out with those guys and I was like, you guys are way more fun than rationalists. This is great. <laughs> I could have feelings around you. That's awesome. Um, so that was really exciting. And also over time, I like, I guess I became a lot more pessimistic about really belonging to those. I mean, I also never really tried, like I didn't move to any of these places, um, but you know, I would attend these events that they would run and they'd be really beautiful acts and like beautiful things would happen. People would like pour out their hearts and stuff. And I'd be like, I have had these brief moments of like, wow, I feel so connected to all you guys. And other people would say that's a very, that was a very common experience with these events. And then, you know, the event would end and everyone would fly home and the energy would just kind of all dissipate. And like, nobody ever really kept in touch after these things. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> so that was maybe more, more on the like one night stand spectrum of things so like well it was a really enjoyable one night stand but like i crave more commitment than this so that was number that's like number three and then like what was i gonna say for number four? Oh, number four was i um became involved with uh i met some people who were part of this uh organization called the monastic academy um, so this is like maple and oak if you've heard of those and uh, they, you know, want to do like monastic training, like where you sit around and meditate a lot and like try to do good stuff generally. Uh, so I, I met some of those guys and I visited a couple of times and then I eventually decided to practice with them uh, for three months. So I was in a, in a monastery for three months. And by a monastery, I mean, it was like a big house where we all meditated a lot. It's kind of the short version and like did chores and stuff. So that was, a, that was, that was maybe the most committed thing that i've done in this structure you know it's kind of like let's move in together for three months and see how it goes and uh overall i mean i haven't i this one i have not written about at all really but overall i didn't like that experience it was mm -hmm. it was like confusing and unpleasant in a number of ways and mm -hmm. could go into a lot more detail about that so like uh but that was another thing that i kind of had hopes for you know i was like oh yeah these guys are like serious hardcore practitioners they've been like continually meditating for hours every day for the last five years or whatever and, like, they probably know all sorts of stuff that i don't know about spirituality or whatever and so i was like really i was like maybe these guys know what they're doing and uh now i don't think they know what they're doing <laughs> i was very disappointed and and that feels like it's just part of this sort of overall pattern of being like very disappointed in a lot of different communities and groups of people that are like trying to do cool, interesting things. Just like, oh, none of you know what, no one knows what they're doing. Like this is just, everyone just kind of sucks. This is terrible. Uh, so that's, so that's, that's where I, I stand currently having gone through this, this, this set of experiences. Now I'm just like very pessimistic. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you could, yeah. You know that expression, um, 
You know, if ever, if everyone you meet in a day is an asshole, the asshole is you. Oh no, Rich. <laughs> no, but, but but wait, but wait, but wait. This is not that. I'm I'm pretty sure okay. that what you're describing is an actual thing that's out there, and it's not you. But, okay, great. Yeah, you. I'm pretty sure you're not the asshole. Like, um, well, maybe so, I have bad taste. You know, <laughs> could be in some sense. Could like, be. Could be little... But like, I come from New Zealand, which is just such a high high degree of social fabric you know there's there's just a high level of trust and conviviality as a baseline compared to most western societies um and it was really obvious when i left for the first time and went to different places it's something that i can feel quite rapidly like is there social fabric here or not and so like um yeah like when i visited taiwan for the first time i felt like wow i'm surrounded by it um when I went to Italy for the first time, I'm surrounded by it. And when I went to the US, it was just like a desert, you know? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, it oh, sucks. Man. And it means that people lack, you know, role models to go like, oh, I want to do that. That's the thing. Mm. But I want to just adjust it by 20%. It's like lots of people just don't have a clear picture of what they're actually looking for. And mm. so they're fumbling along and trying based on their values and their best intentions, but don't actually have all that tacit knowledge that you get from just being, you know, like maybe I, I was just hanging out with like coastal elite. So there's probably like lots of parts of the US that still have a lot of, you know, old school community. Um, right. But I, I wasn't, I wasn't encountering them. And these people that you've just described as you run through this list, these are all kind of like, you know, in the nicest way, kind of hipster, um, urban, high tech, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think, Sometimes I look at what I'm doing with micro solidarity and feel like, oh, it's a bit basic. It's a bit remedial. Um, <laughs> but I think it needs to be. I think it's like there's some really foundational practices and yeah, skills yeah. that need to be solid just to just get the basics right. Like I love how you describe this thing of like dating for friends. Like that's not just um, opportunities to meet people who are also seeking friends. It's also a bunch of social norms about like, yeah. Yeah. like when you go on a date for the first time with someone, everyone knows that at the end of the day, there's a yes, no decision that you're both going to make. And if you both say no, it's fine. It's like, okay, that's sad, but it's very clean. You know, you've got, you don't have this expectation of we had a nice time and therefore we're going to keep going on together or something like it, it, Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like we're like, we, even having the language of like one night stands and breakups and that sort of thing, like we just don't have the language or the forms for it. So yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's the first thing I want to say. I guess the second thing is on this list of four, maybe is there one of them that feels more unprocessed or like more useful to um, unpack with me? That's a good, I mean, the first two, like the rationalists and the cult, I've probably written the most about and had the most feelings about, but I think they were maybe also the, they were maybe the longest and also the most painful experiences. So there's probably more stuff there. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. It's probably lots of stuff. <laughs> and the, the monastery stuff, I've probably, like, I spent a long time there and have processed it not that much. Um, so there's probably lots of stuff there also. Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's, there's a crap ton of stuff. <laughs> it's my guess. If okay. you go looking for it, we'll probably find it. Okay. So the other way into this is like, what's the most processed stuff as in 
have you come out of this, you know, uh, period of reflection with, with anything where it's like, definitely do not do this or like, here's the big lesson or the takeaway. Lessons. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, yes, I think I do have lessons. I think uh, prior to this whole set of experiences, I was really like, I was sort of, going off of like who is saying stuff that sounds good to me mm. you know like who is sort of espousing a point of view or espousing values that feel like values that i want um and i was very drawn to free like you know the way i got into the rationalist and stuff was by reading eliezer yukowski's writing for example he's a great writer he's a very mm. compelling writer and i was really drawn to that and that was basically the whole way that i got started it was like oh man but here's this writing that has all these fascinating ideas you know i started with Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, which is a very interesting document. Um, and then went on to reading the sequences, just like was blown away by the sheer like interestingness of the ideas. Mm -hmm. Wow, ideas. These are fascinating. You know, I was like a when I, I was like a young 22-year-old, you know, I didn't know, 21-year-old. I like I was starving for good ideas at the time. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, these are some crazy ideas. And the, I guess the one sentence summary of what I learned from trying to hang out with the rationalists was that like really cool ideas are not a substitute for friendship. <laughs> I just like, there were just like really basic friendship incompatibilities between me and a lot of, I just didn't enjoy spending time with a lot of them. Mm. I didn't, we didn't have the same sense of humor and we like didn't, you know, enjoy doing the same things at parties and stuff. I'm trying to say this neutrally instead of like they making suck. fun of them, which is like <laughs> also done. Uh, but neutrally, you know, we just like had different preferences about how to enjoy ourselves. Mm. And that came to be a lot more important to me over time. I'm just like, oh yeah, we like can't really bro out. And that actually matters to me quite a lot more than like whether we have, we can talk about cool ideas all the time. Like the the sheen of, of the shiny new ideas thing just wore off a lot over time. It's just like, yep, I have lots of good ideas now, but I still don't have any friends. It's still terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's actually been the lesson of from all of them. It's just like shininess was just not as just not a substitute for friendship. <laughs> just like the basic nuts and bolts of friendship, whatever that is. Like uh, I don't know that I was really friends with anyone else in the cult in some sense. I mean that's that's sort of a weird, it really depends on what, what one means by friendship, but like there were there were things there were like ways that we didn't know how to relate to each other like ways that we didn't know how to just like just to like enjoy each other's presence yeah. you know i think there were i think that was like not a thing we were good at yeah uh, it's like a deficiency and, of hanging out yeah yeah like like and this is a thing i talked about with other rationals like we would say like oh you know like when i was college like okay for me it's like when i was in college i was in a fraternity that was by far the best social experience of my entire right. life overall right. like we just hung out we were very good at it. We like went, we like watched movies. We had like movie nights. We would like drink a lot. That was great. <laughs> a lot of good times with alcohol and weed. And it was like, and we, it was just, it was just good. We just like, it was all very social and like very pleasant and didn't feel, you know, like, I don't know, uh, excessive or anything. It's just, mm -hmm. just had a lot of fun. We're very good at hanging out. You know, we laughed a lot together. Like that's, you know how they say in, in, in the romantic, context stuff like oh well he makes me laugh it's like that <laughs> yeah we laughed a lot together that yeah. was really great and i just haven't I, I i really just haven't had as 
that was that was maybe my 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 largest uh the closest i've come to being in a functional social fabric mm. it was very functional we had we had traditions you know we had like specific parties that we would throw at specific times of the year and we like would pass on the knowledge of how to throw these parties and like what sorts of little things you're supposed to do to make them nice and special and that was really cool we were like we had a culture you know that mm. was exciting that was to me I, I hadn't really been a part of a culture before we had mm. a culture and it, it was it was like pretty good um and yeah i have nothing else that i've experienced since college and that fraternity has really measured up in along any of those dimensions like the rationalists tried having a culture they, they really did you know they tried like having traditions and like oh we have like let's do a sol- a winter solstice let's do a summer solstice it'll be like like they really tried but it's just i just didn't enjoy hanging out with them enough ultimately <laughs> do you think do you think at the rationalist there was a bunch of people that do enjoy hanging out with each other and it's just like a mismatch or is it like just actually lacking in general i'm not sure it's like hard for me to know what other people's experiences were i hi hello you were just at the start of answering the question and then yeah so you asked me do you think that the rationalists were enjoying spending time with each other and uh i was waffling a lot uh so basically i so basically i don't know and it was hard for me to tell and probably it varied a lot. Um, so I, I do think, uh, so I was, I was going to say, I do think at the very least that a lot of the rationalists felt safer and more comfortable around each other than around like normies or whatever. Just like, ah, I'm a weirdo who's into weird stuff. And here are all these other weirdos who are also into weird stuff. And we can like hang out and talk about that weird stuff. And like, that was, you know, I also enjoyed talking with weirdos about weird stuff. So like, I get that. On the other hand, I feel like, like, there were, uh, you know, for to just be blunt, there were there are rationalists that are like pretty autistic. There are rationalists that are like pretty traumatized. There are rationalists that are like a mix of those things, and then God knows what else. And there were plenty of people in that community that I like basically never saw smile or laugh ever mm-hmm. under any circumstances, like I, including at parties and stuff. And in retrospect, I'm like that was that was weird. <laughs> like, I've, there's one guy I'm specifically thinking of that I've just I I I lived with him for over a year, um, and I don't think I ever saw him smile or laugh once. And I'm like, I'm just I'm like, that's that's unfortunate, you know. Like I, yeah. that's that's not a that's not a pleasant situation to be in. And uh, there were I mean there were long periods where I probably didn't smile or laugh a lot either, where I was just like very depressed and then like just not capable of really enjoying. Like I the word enjoy I really like. I, I'm really paying attention to the joy part of the word enjoy, like experiencing joy together thing. Uh, I don't think there was a lot of that in the rationalist community generally. There was more of it in the beginning when the, when I was, when everything was kind of like, when I showed up in 2013, everything still felt, things felt kind of generally more new and more exciting and more shiny. And everyone was, everyone was kind of like intoxicated, I guess, by the high of, of like all the cool new stuff that was happening. And then I feel like things kind of gradually soured over the next several years. And, um, and there was just kind of less of that fresh freshness to, to kind of revitalize people and people kind of got maybe more, 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 a little more bitter, bitter and cynical over time. I don't know that they would agree with that description. That's my sense of what was happening. Yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> I'm not sure. 
Yeah, yeah. I guess part of what I'm getting at is that it'd be cool if there was a, a list of red flags. <laughs> you know, a list of red flags. Um, so if you go to a potential community that you're dating and mm-hmm. there's very little smiling or laughter, <laughs> just notice that one. You know, just notice that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would, I would, I would. Yeah. And I think for me, just an even more basic one, like it, uh, like. I wasn't very in touch with my feelings at all when I encountered the rationality community, which is kind of part of how it all went down. Um, I had just gotten out of a pretty bad breakup and it was just very unpleasant and I kind of like didn't want to look at it. Uh, and the while I was kind of hanging out with the rationalists, I eventually it eventually became like increasingly clear to me that I needed to like get more in touch with my feelings if I was gonna do anything at all. Uh, and then the more I did that, the more I noticed that I didn't feel good after I spent time with a lot of rationalists. Like I would go to a rationalist party and then afterwards be like, I don't feel good. <laughs> like I feel a little anxious and tired. And that was like not satisfying. That was like not a satisfying experience. I didn't have fun there. Yeah. And it, it, it really did take, it, take, it took effort to notice this. I was not used to noticing it. And like, I felt like rationality community norms didn't really encourage me to notice it. Um, but I did notice that it was like particularly noticeable during this one time that I uh, I went to like a authentic relating event in, in Austin and it was really fun and I really enjoyed myself and I cried and you know I laughed <laughs> like all this you know I felt I felt good <laughs> I felt happy you know actual happiness I danced spontaneously. Like I felt so happy that I just wanted to dance. I was like, whoa, happiness makes you want to dance. That's crazy. <laughs> That's a measure of how unhappy I was around rationalists, that that was like a revelation to me. Uh, and then I noticed I didn't want to go back to the Bay on the last day. I was like, mm. I don't want to go to the airport. <laughs> I, just, I just want to stay here forever. Um, and then I like, you know, looked, I inspected that feeling and was like, okay, first of all, the Bay Area doesn't feel good. I just don't enjoy being out in public in the Bay. Like I think people in Berkeley and San Francisco are just very unhappy, <laughs> just generally. Um, and then, then there was also a specific component. Like I don't feel good around the rationals. Not the way I feel good around. But I feel really good around these people. These people like they smile and they laugh and they hug each other and they like cuddle and they like play. Oh, this is so nice. And then the rationalists are worse at all this. <laughs> And then I wrote a whole document basically elaborating on this observation. It was like, it doesn't, I feel that when I'm around the rationalists. So now what's up with that? And uh, I wrote a lot, but the, the sort of the very basic thing that I eventually realized was like, I think a lot of these guys are just really anxious all the time. And then when I hang out with them, I get more anxious because I'm just like picking up on it. Mm, that's, that's too bad. <laughs> that's, a, that's an unfortunate situation for us all to be in. Especially and because, then I said a bunch of other things, but especially because all of those people like they deserve love and compassion and friendship. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 for sure. This is but, it's a tragic but, situation in some sense. But when you have a critical mass of people who don't know how to vibe or like are anxious or whatever traumatized or whatever, like you, you need a source, like you say about enjoyment. I'm always talking about encouragement. It's the same thing. It's like mm. um there's other people that are giving you courage by their presence. There's other people that are giving you joy by their presence. And the, like the dynamic encounter 
like that's where the joy comes from it's like they're enjoying you they're like pumping yeah, the joy yeah. into you and <laughs> you, you need a critical mass of people that have a bit of joy and a bit of courage to spare you know to give to contribute mm. to that like kind of feedback loop and yeah if there's if there's not that critical mass there you just don't get the reaction and so it's like everyone wants to have that sense of connection and the aliveness but there's just like not enough nutrients in the yeah 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 oh. like this i i could really go on about like not only ways in which i feel like the individual people there were sort of like not uh not fun to be around but also ways in which like the the community norms also kind of deprioritized joy and happiness and belonging and like a lot of really important friendship and community nutrients in my eyes mm. uh, where like to be very reductive the community norms are like we should just do correct things <laughs> you know <laughs> what if we just did, figured out the correct things to do and then did those things and uh the problem there of course is like what's the power source like where are you running all this stuff off of and uh oh, protein and carbohydrates really... and <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't think anyone had a really compelling answer to that question and like i i eventually came to suspect that the power source people were actually running off of was fear basically mm -hmm. like pants shitting horror of like the end mm -hmm. of the world and I eventually came to conclude that that was a really bad fuel source. Just like, I just don't think it'll work like that. I don't think you can build a community whose power source is fear. I think if you try to do that, you will build a cult <laughs> one way or another. And I attempted to tell people this, and I don't know if I succeeded, but I did try. I was like, I don't think this will work. Uh, I said it in like a very, very, I, when I, I, I briefly worked at the Center for Applied Rationality, which was the, the, the organization that like runs rationality workshops and stuff. It was kind of like a hub of the community. And when I left, I like gave a little, a short little farewell speech to everyone else there, in which I basically said this. I said it very, very dramatically. I was like, I don't think we can save the world power, powered by fear. I think we have to do it powered by love or it's not going to work. And that was like, I was being very extra, but I still kind of stand by that. I still think that's the way it's got to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I in the latest update, I just took out anything fear-based or apocalyptic in the in the market solidarity frameings. There's Ooh. nothing. There's yeah. nothing left in there. It's only about friendship, compassion, growth, yeah. good times, meaning, like positive. Yeah, because it because it used to be like, oh, the climate change is going to kill everyone. <laughs> we should probably. I remember that part. Like, and that that was motivating to me. It's been motivating to a lot of other people as well. It does seem like. Being able to confront reality and and all of the indicators that say civilization is less secure than it was 50 years ago. Like mm -hmm. I need to be with people that can handle that conversation. Right. But I just, like you say, I just don't think it's a good focus. Mm -hmm. I, 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 even if it's true, it's like, yeah. if you get a bunch of amateurs with not very many resources thinking about existential risk and how like the world's gonna end, what are they supposed to do about it? Like yeah. freak out and make weird yeah, decisions I mean, and do weird ends justify the means rationalizations. That is and exactly what happens. Yep, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> it sucks. It's really bad. I mean, people have literally gone psychotic, like in the rationality community. This is not something people like to talk about, but multiple people have had psychotic breaks over the years and connected to thinking about rationalist ideas. Like it's it's not the rationalist ideas are not neutral in this process. It's not just that troubled people show up. It's that troubled people show up and they're given these terrible ideas to chew on without a lot of 
corresponding, you know, safety and in, enjoyment and encouragement. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to backtrack a second as well, just to note down something. Uh, like you said about you didn't want to leave. And when you're thinking about going back to the Bay, it was like, oh, um, yeah. that's actually a very practical suggestion. I think like that I've been doing intuitively, which is like in anything, like a, a relationship, a, a work encounter, like a project that I'm working on myself, just intentionally checking in before and afterwards and going, do I have more energy now than when I started? Mm -hmm. And it's really, really clear. It's like, like this conversation, we've been on the phone for half an hour. I feel alert and alive and engaged. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There's other conversations where by half an hour, I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the clock. I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. how do we get out of this? And I'm going to end feeling slashed over and tired. And that's just like, okay, that's a clean signal that your body is not having a great time. So <laughs> yeah. notice that. Notice that. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's data. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For sure. Um, I wonder how much, yeah, how much kind of capacity or willingness you have to talk about the cult dimension. And um, like you said, it was traumatic. So. Oh yeah, I would love to. I just it's <laughs> yeah. talking about it is how I process it. So okay, lay it on to. me. I'd be, very, I'd be very happy to. So uh, maybe I can just declare as well. My interest here is um I think that microsolidarity processes are immediately adjacent to cult building processes. Mm -hmm. And I want to install antivirus software in Great. the framework yeah. so that we don't accidentally spawn a whole bunch of cults. <laughs> That makes sense. I'm with you on that. Um, so I can I can try to give like a really brief summary, and you can like double click on anything that particularly catches your interest. So really briefly, I know how brief this is going to be. I was uh, I was in I was still hanging out with the rationalists, but I was also learning about circling and authentic relating and all of these more emotional kinds of practices. And it was really those they felt really alive, really juicy. So whatever this is doing, I need it really badly <laughs> like just give it give it to me and uh, and there were some rationalists who were not into that stuff you know who were like oh we shouldn't mess around with that sort of thing let's keep thinking about ai or whatever and i was like no i really think i need to have a lot of feelings though <laughs> like i'm really not excited about thinking right now <laughs> as opposed to feeling um so I, I was becoming increasingly dissatisfied with sort of like uh I felt like I didn't have enough space in the rationality community to explore all this stuff that was opening up for me personally around emotions and the heart and the soul. Like I, 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 was, I, was, I was like, oh, I have a soul. That's like a meaningful concept to me now. Like I have a soul and it like, there's a way that it can, thing, some things are good for my soul and some things are bad for my soul. That distinction matters to me quite a lot now. And um, so basically there were a handful of rationalists who, kind of also felt this way in one form or another who like wanted to explore you know matters of the heart and spirit so to speak and who didn't feel like there was enough space for that sort of thing in the larger rationality community and one of those people was a man called Brent uh, who kind of like organized the rest of us kind of like reached out to all of us and was like hey you know we have a little group where we meet to talk about this stuff and we like talk about feelings and we talk about spirits and we talk about magic I'm like, whoa that sounds interesting and so i started hanging out with a group of people uh they were called black lotus and you know we like did weird personal development stuff and like we had brent had this had a little like 
system for thinking about different kinds of uh, gnosis was the term that we used, like different types of, of, intu of intuitive knowing. And that was really cool to me. At the, I was like, at the time I was like, wow, I'm like very, very curious about this. Like gnosis, because gnosis is like such an interestingly different concept than sort of the rationalist conception of knowledge where the rationalist conception of knowledge is this very like scientific materialist. Like you go out into the world and you do experiments and you like, record the data and then you like and then analyze the data and you come to conclusions based on your analysis of the data whereas gnosis is like you just go look at the world and then stuff you just like know stuff <laughs> i was like damn yeah that sounds more fun definitely sounds more fun um and but also brent was like very paranoid and very controlling and would get into these very bad moods where he thought that everyone was out to get him and he talked a lot about Basically, he talked a lot about how everyone was out to get him, but in like a very, very sophisticated and smart way. And I was like, wow, this guy is so sophisticated and smart. Like, once again, I was, this is another situation where I was like very drawn to a person's ideas, first and foremost. Um, like, he talked a lot about social dynamics and about like scapegoating. Basically, he talked about how he was always being scapegoated. That's the, that was sort of the central, the central component of his philosophy was that he was being scapegoated all the time and it wasn't fair. And like, in, in in fairness, like it seemed true. Like I looked at him and the way he interacted with people, like really kind of that kind of seems like what's happening. <laughs> uh, you know, so I was like pretty compelled by this thing, this sort of thing at the time. Like it seemed, it felt to me like he was sort of speaking truth to power in a way that felt refreshing to me. I was like, oh yeah, there's no one else is talking about this. This seems really important. Mm -hmm. uh, but and this is relevant to the enjoyment stuff. I really didn't enjoy spending time with him. I I found spending time with him extremely stressful. And I said so uh, pretty early on, like one of our interactions, I said something like, I kind of feel like you want to kill me. <laughs> he didn't disagree. Like, the dude had a, lot of, had a lot of problems. He was like very deeply, deeply unhappy. And, you know, for reasons, you know, people get that way for reasons. He had a very rough childhood and all this other stuff. Uh, so there I was hanging out with this group of people that was founded by this like very paranoid, very unhappy person and you know i've come to really appreciate the importance of founder effects <laughs> mm -hmm. groups really do rep reflect the personalities of their founders and this group represented really reflected his personality uh, it's it's hard for me to describe the sorts of things that happened but like it just wasn't good we like in different ways i feel like we were all kind of like co-opted into serving his emotional needs in a certain way and like playing out dramas with him and like all this other stuff. And it was just really weird. I can't really describe what it felt like to be inside of it. Uh, like I was just really, and I thought that I, I thought that I wasn't doing this. I, the thing that I thought I was doing was like uh, successfully like protecting myself from his attempts at manipulating me while so like trying to relate to him as a human being because I felt a lot of compassion for him and a lot of us did like that was part of the part, part of the structure that kept us together was that I felt a lot of compassion like I could see that he was really hurting and that he was very happy for like very good reasons and I like and you know also I really liked his ideas so like I wanted to help him I wanted to like help him like with his he had, he had a kind of mission you know he described himself variously as like trying to like you know, it's it's sort of all variations on like I'm gonna wake up the sheeple, <laughs> you know, but it, but it really was like that, and I and I really did buy into it at least partially at the time. It's like, oh yeah, this is like you got some really good stuff here, and it would be really cool to somehow you know see it spread. Uh, 
and that's that's sort of how it goes. Uh, but meanwhile, I was like, like again, like it was it was stressful actually spending time with them. It's very unpleasant. Uh, here's a kind of anecdote that kind of, that sort of illustrates the the thing. Once upon a time, I complained about how I had never seen the Milky Way with Nick my eyes before because I'd never been around. I'd never been in a place that had like a low enough level of light pollution. And I was sad about it. And he heard me say that and immediately offered to drive me to Tahoe so that I could see the Milky Way for myself. And I thought that was just like a really sweet, nice thing to do. It's like, wow, that's so nice, Brent. Thank you, I really appreciate that offer. I will take you up on that offer. So me and Brent and another friend of ours drove to Tahoe the next weekend to try to see the Milky Way. And the drive there was extremely unpleasant. <laughs> it just, the two of them got into this big argument and it's just, really sucked to be around and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have it. I didn't feel like I could really do anything about it. And like, uh, and then we got there and like, there was still kind of like, I could, that was the clearest I've ever seen the Milky Way, but there was actually still some light around. So it still wasn't that clear. It was like, it was like kind of foggy in the air. And I was like, oh, but I, I could see the shape. I was like, oh yeah, that's the shape of the Milky Way. That's okay, cool. That's, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> so I did see it kind of, but it wasn't like, really vivid it was just like oh yeah it's there i can see it <laughs> so it was a little bit disappointing and then we had another very unpleasant drive back and i was just like yep all right this is uh this is how it is <laughs> you know so there was a good intention in there somewhere i really do believe that on some level he was well-intentioned mm -hmm. um and also just the day-to-day -day actually being around each other was just weird and tense all the time it's just just not good um and then the way things actually ended, this part, I'm just going to like really hurry over. Basically, we, we were also at Burning Man camp. So we went to Burning Man and a lot of like intense dramatic stuff happened at Burning Man. This is, I'm really contesting a lot of stuff here. And then somewhat separately after Burning Man, uh, one of Brent's former partners anonymously published a, an expose, I guess, accusing him of a bunch of terrible stuff in their relationship, which was somewhat unrelated to the to the cult, but like kind of related to his personality and you know his trauma and all that stuff. And uh, those accusations were very serious and people took them very seriously. And then they came out and everyone had a very long discussion about them. Uh, and in that discussion, uh, actually Ayla from, you know, from Twitter, Ayla who had visited our Burning Man camp, I invited her. Uh, was like, hey, I was I hung out with Black Lotus at Burning Man and I saw a lot of really weird stuff. I saw Brent do a lot of like really manipulative controlling things. And here's like a list of all the manipulative controlling things I saw Brent do. And here's like, here's sort of like what I see as the overall structure of the nature of his manipulation. And she just like laid, laid it out mechanically in like a lot of detail. And when I read that thing that she wrote, uh, something suddenly shifted inside mm -hmm. of me. Like I suddenly felt like I could breathe again after kind of holding my breath for a long time. And uh, like my head cleared. <laughs> it's just, I can't, I don't know how to describe this experience. Uh, it was like, oh, like, like I had been under some kind of spell <laughs> and the spell broke, I guess is maybe the best way of saying it. And uh, I was very disoriented after that. I was like, what has been happening to me? What's going on? Like, was any of that stuff good? <laughs> what if that stuff was bad? I thought it was good at the time. And now I'm like looking at all these experiences I have with the script. It's like, what if that was bad? <laughs> and I was just very confused for quite a while. It's like very, it was 
so disoriented. It was disorienting in a way that I wasn't used to being disoriented. Like I was not used to being disoriented about like the meaning of things that I had experienced. It's like, okay, I, I assigned a certain meaning to these events and now I'm having to like completely reevaluate the meanings that I was assigning to events. Like what's up, with, that's weird. I, I don't, I, what's up with that? That's super weird. Uh, and so in the aftermath of that, I read a lot of stuff about cults. Like I looked up like exposés of cult leaders and stuff. I read like there's this uh, reporter B. Schofield. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Who wrote a lot of cult exposés. Like here's this, here's this terrible cult that is doing these terrible things. Here's this other terrible. There's a lot of them. It turns out, and they're kind of all the same. Like I, I came to realize that there were kind of depressingly few patterns. They're just like kind of the same variations of the same thing over and over again. Uh, and like, they weren't a perfect fit for my experience, but they were a pretty good fit. I was like, oh yeah, we were doing like 75% of the stuff or something. And it was harmful in exactly the ways that it was harmful in all these other situations. And like, I thought I was better than this. It turns out I'm just not like, <laughs> I thought I was above being manipulated in this way. That just wasn't true in the slightest. So here I am, humbled. That was more detail than I intended to go into, but I think it was good. Um, and so, yeah, I'm happy to, to elaborate on. on yeah, um, I've got a small question first, which is, do you think, um, was it kind of a fluke that you invited Ayla and she had this insight or was that you, did you anticipate maybe you were like, um, were you reaching for something like, oh, here's a, here's a grown-up that I trust that can come and give me a second perspective or something? Uh not consciously. I just thought Ayla was really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to. I wanted to get all of the coolest people I knew there. Basically, mm -hmm. I just like wanted this. I wanted like a convocation of all the coolest people in my life, basically. And I thought, you know, oh, we could all hang out, and then we could maybe collaborate on cool projects in the future. Wouldn't that be exciting? Gotcha. And Ayla was one of those people. I was like, yeah, Ayla is really fascinating and cool. I would love for her to hang out with these other people that I also think are fascinating and cool. And maybe we could all be friends, which did not really happen. But what happened instead was pretty good. So you know, yeah, I, still a good I still, I still feel very grateful to her for this. Like she really, she like, you know, she really snapped me out of it, uh, kind it's of single-handedly, which is. It's just amazing that I think I've experienced something a bit like that with this, the sense of, um, the spell breaking, um, in less intense ways, like just, um, being given the mental model to make sense of my reality and be like, oh, it's that. Like this is a known, yeah. this is a known thing. I've just been kind yeah. of tangled up in all of these concepts and not knowing how to pattern match them. Like mm -hmm. for it, just kind of having these weird and coate kind of senses. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So one, I've got a couple of questions. One is uh, right at the start, nearly at the start of the story, you said uh, you told Brent that you felt like he wanted to kill you. Yeah. Um. That's a that's a very intense feeling to have. <laughs> uh, can you tell me more? Like, how did you? I mean, he how, was how a, did you make sense of that? He was a very angry guy. Mm. Like, he just had a lot of anger in him, and a lot of like. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw him literally bare his teeth at me and other people at various points, just like. Uh,
I mean, I was speaking a little poetically at the time, but it was a description of what I, I, I was, I was like, uh, you know, describing how it felt to be around him and to like look at his face and like see the tension on his face and stuff. And it did seem to me like there was a, he once described himself as a, as like a, an abused dog. And he specifically, there's this video of an abused dog on YouTube that he used to link to, which I don't, I don't think I ever saw it. <laughs> Cause I thought it would be too intense or something. Um, and an abused dog is like very violent in some sense is like very willing to kind of like, you know, like lash out and like attack. And it's, it's, it's coming from, you know, terror, just like that dog doesn't know what's safe. They don't know who's safe. And that's how Brent seems to me a lot of the time, just like petrified on some level of like everyone around, just like all humans. And, and that, that again, is something I had a lot of compassion for. I was like, wow, that yeah. sucks. That seems yeah. like literally hell. <laughs> like, I just can't imagine a worse situation to be in than to be like petrified of literally all of humanity all the time. And I'm like feeling sad, as I say. As I yeah. said, I really did. It really did seem like a just a like even after all this stuff came out, I couldn't really hate him. It just seemed like a weird thing. Like I, I was angry at him, yeah, for hurting me and other people. But I just like, I felt like I got it. It's like okay, yeah. I, I think I understand like how shitty your life has to be for you to end up like this. It's just yeah. it sucks. It just sucks. Um, and like, I was literally attacked by a dog a couple of years ago. Oh. and um, it was bad, but not super bad. It was like, go to the hospital bad, but not like lose any limbs. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and my first reaction was just like, kind of rage at the animal, but more at the owners and be like, what the fuck, you know? Like, if you've mm -hmm. got a dog that can't be trusted, why is it off the leash? And they said, they were really apologetic and they said, this is a rescue dog. It was like really badly abused when it was a puppy. And as soon as I heard that, it's like, okay, well, I don't have any, <laughs> you know, I can't blame you. It's, yeah. it's completely understandable that like, if you're mistreated at that age, like, of course, you're going to be a really distorted adult. Like, mm. So I get that sense of compassion yeah. thing that kind of just takes over. And like, I knew, I knew stories about, I, I never verified, I, I don't, I don't actually know if any of these stories are true. I never like yeah. independently verified them or anything, but like yeah. he claims to have had a deeply narcissistic mother, which really fucks you up just in all sorts of ways. He also says that when he was nine, his classmates tried to kill him. Mm. Like, and I never really got details on that story, but like, I, I think he claims that a bunch of his classmates like gained up on him and tried to like choke him to death or something which is a really fucked up thing to happen to you when you're nine. Like, that's crazy, you know? Yo, I heard that story and I was like, ah, and now you are an adult who believes that everyone's out to get you all the time. I'm like, I could, I could sort of see the connection there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But what, what I think at the time I didn't understand was that like, I could feel compassion for and understand someone else's behavior and still like have boundaries about it. Mm. That was literally not something I understood that I could do. <laughs> like I didn't understand that compassion was compatible with having boundaries. So it was just terrible. That was very bad. <laughs> it's a really basic thing that I just didn't understand. And it really got me into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, but that's how I learned. I was like, I can have empathy for someone and still not want them in my life. I learned that from this experience. I was like, huh, that sucks. But also I'm glad I know that. <laughs> it's like better than not knowing that. Um, there's this podcast series uh, by Prentice Hemphill called Finding Our Way and they I can't remember it was them or one of their guests 
define boundaries as um, the closest distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. Whoa. Okay. And some people, yeah. that distance is very fucking far away, you know? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to be... Oh, I don't want to be a bulldog here, but still, I'm like, maybe I can get at this by by parallel. So, um, I'm working with a um, kind of entrepreneur uh, who does work for a lot of other people, and they were describing one of their clients, and they said, um, "You know, I, ha I have this feeling of dread when I open up my Slack in the morning, and I feel like I'm a hostage." And like. And I just stopped them there. I was like, okay, sure. Like you said, maybe that's a poetic use of language, but it's a bit like Visa says, you know, like jokes are always serious. Yeah. You felt like you were a hostage. Like, what the fuck are you doing working for that? How much are they paying you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really trying to get at like, you felt like he wanted to kill you. Yeah. And there was still some part of you that said, I'm going to stick around. This is a good place to be. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> right. Like, I actually made this decision. I remember making this decision consciously. I remember deciding to myself, I was like, all right, it feels very bad to be around this guy. I'm going to choose to ignore that feeling. Mm. I said that to myself. Um, and I was like, because I am so interested in his ideas and his projects, like, that is so interesting and important to me that it overrides my mere feelings. <laughs> That was a thing I consciously decided at the time. And in retrospect, I'm like, that was a mistake. <laughs> I didn't know that, but it was, that was a big mistake. Really bad. Well, it's and good like, to notice these mistakes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. There were other people. I tried, I tried introducing Brent to other people because of how interested I was in his whole thing. Mm -hmm. And several of those people were like, I don't like how it feels to be around that guy. I don't think you should be around that guy. And I was exact, you know, the whole cliche of like, Hey, I think your boyfriend's cheating on you. Like, shut up, you jealous bitch. Like, it was exactly like that. I was like, well, you just don't get it. <laughs> I literally had that conversation. Wow. This was this was with a friend who I, I tried introducing him to Brent. And in their ensuing conversation, at one point, Brent literally slammed, physically slammed his head against the wall multiple times out of like, I don't know, anger or frustration or something. And I was like, this is very interesting. And he was like, this is fucked up. <laughs> Why are you hanging out with this guy? Yeah. I was like, I don't know. It's very interesting. You know, like I was, I guess you could say I was uh, also kind of in the process of, I don't know, exploring darkness or something. Mm -hmm. So at the time I was like, oh, this is like so real and authentic. Like really, it's just, this is not a, I, I had never met anyone like this guy. I had never mm -hmm. met anyone who was like this angry or this paranoid. And it was legitimately fascinating to me. I was like, this is so, I've never seen this before. I just, I'm so curious about it, <laughs> like about this type of human that I just have never seen. Um, so for me, there was a, there was just like a kind of raw curiosity there also, mm -hmm. just like, what's going to happen if I keep hanging out with this really fucked up dude? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then the next question, I mean, what did happen was the sense that you were manipulated despite, yeah. despite feeling like, oh, it never happened to me or, you know, yeah. Yeah. a good brain or something like that. So yeah. then, so then the question is like, after having been through this experience, which felt like a spell, like, you know, hypnosis or, you know, there's a, there's this kind of delusion, magic spell stealth thing going on that like prevents you from seeing reality as it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And coming out the other side and having that illusion taken away. Mm -hmm. 
uh, how do you recover from that? Like, ha, am I doing that to you now? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is this is on some level been a been a preoccupation of mine for a while. So all of this stuff happened. Uh, everything kind of went down in the summer of 2018. That was the summer that we went to Burning Man. And I've like on some level been recovering from it this whole time. Uh, it's been a very long process. Like I've had to deal with a lot of stuff. Cause I mean, I, there was a, there's this book called uh, the subtitle is like terror, love and attachment. And it's about hmm. sort of an attachment theory perspective on cults, which I find fascinating. It's very interesting. And it feels very accurate to me. Like there was a lot of, I guess this, the, the short way to put it is like, I made Brent into a kind of father figure, which mm. is a very common cult thing. Mm. And I, on some level, came to be in this kind of weird attachment relationship with him where I desperately wanted his approval. And when you're in that position with someone, they can do a lot of fucked up shit to you. <laughs> You'll yeah. still just be like, okay, but I still just want your approval. <laughs> and I was not really aware like I had some sense at the time of attachment stuff in romantic contexts of like, oh yeah, I can definitely get that way with girls where I like desperately want their approval. But I just didn't have the concept that this was something that could be relevant to my relationship to other men. Mm. Like that just wasn't in my, on my radar in the slightest. And, uh, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of, it seems how unhealthy cult dynamics work is basically by manipulating attachments, like in one way or another. And, and the cult leader like manipulates people to becoming very attached. Like in this very insecure way like the, the attachment is kind of constantly under threat and uh, and the threat is like the terror part of terror love and attachment it's like you like you sort of constantly insinuate that that like you are the source of like love and goodness and truth in the world and that like they are their job is to like receive it from you mm-hmm. and they have to be like good enough to do that there's like a there's a standard that they could fail to meet and so they're like you keep people on the one hand kind of blissed, blissed out on the possibility of receiving your love and affection. And on the other hand, terrified of the possibility of not receiving your love and affection. So they'll do anything to just like stay in your good graces. This is like extremely, this is like the basic cult pattern when it gets really bad. <clears throat> this is kind of like you and a bunch of people who are insecurely attached to you and you just, you just make them do whatever you want and they'll mm-hmm. just do it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's very bad. <laughs> it's very, very bad. In the same way that like a very abusive relationship where similar things, I, I, I came to, 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 to see very strong parallels to like abusive romantic relationships where I think there's sort of more, there's a little bit more cultural wisdom out there, you know, to, yeah. to draw on. And it's, 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 it's pretty similar. Although yeah. there's more dynamics involved because there's just more people involved. Like, one thing I learned from all the cult reading is that uh, cult leaders are often very interested in manipulating the, the romantic relationships of the cult. Like in extreme cases, they'll literally be like, they'll order people to divorce. Yeah. You two are married. Stop doing that. Yeah. It's wrong for you to be married. It's like not spiritual enough. You should, you two should divorce and then you two should get married. And like, <clears throat> it's about controlling attachments. The point is like other people in the cult should not be more attached to each other than they are to the cult leader. Like as part of maintaining control, it's very important to control all of the attachment relationships that are happening inside of the cult. And I haven't personally experienced anything like that. Like Brad didn't really do anything along those lines that I can remember. But uh, it seems very plausible to me as part as like a thing that people kind of hit upon of like, oh yeah, I need to make sure 
people don't feel too good about each other. <laughs> Everyone should be a little fucked up and insecure about each other all the time. So that I remain the sole source of mm. goodness. Mm. It's really, it's really, it's a whole mess. I don't know if this answered your question. I forgot what your original question was. Um, it helps. I, I'm. What I'm thinking about here is like um, how that dynamic creates a center of gravity, mm. and. Uh, Like the way you describe it with that level of awareness of like, oh, I have to control all the attachment relationships. Um, and if I can get people on this anxious dance with me, then like they're gonna stick around. Yeah. Uh, and they'll be willing to do all kinds of outlandish things and yep. surrender their agency to me. Um, yep. Like the way you describe it, it sounds like you could imagine someone doing that on purpose. Um, but I think a lot of the stuff happens completely unconsciously that it's like yep. being driven by unconscious, you know, trauma and whatever emotional memories or whatever things that like just filter people's decision-making almost like, yep. you know, if I get a pot of water and I put heat into it, eventually there's going to be a phase transition where it stops just being hot water and it starts being steam. And it's not like a sophisticated operation. It's just, you put heat into the water and eventually it goes. And I'm, yeah. uh, so I'm thinking about like, could there be a kind of healthy spectrum that starts with, oh, I'm a community host and I'm calling people in and I'm like creating that center of gravity that people are attracted to. Uh, and that there's a kind of just doing more and more of that. There's a kind of phase transition where it turns into this like very manipulative, you know, like is it, is it a continuum from healthy and good and necessary bootstrapping to completely fucked up manipulation or are there really clear delineations where it's like, this is safe, this is dangerous, do this, don't do that. Because I'm basically just reflecting on myself and going, well, how am I doing this in my own community building? You know, like um, I definitely, and not just me, but other people that I, I look to in community who are have some kind of status, they always are in high demand and don't have capacity you know, so it's like, um, I've been in Inspiral for 10 years. I have a huge amount of influence. And so some percentage of the new people that show up, when they figure out like, oh, there's him and him and her and her, and these are the people that have a lot of status, like they really crave my attention. Mm -hmm. And I've got my own drivers that I just love to be the center of attention. You know, yeah, um, and we can easily get into a dynamic where I'm just like, yeah, give it, give it, give it. Yeah, this is good. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know this girl. Um, and I don't think I'm a manipulator, twisted, you know, whatever. But I do think it's within this. It's in the same way as like you had this realization of like, fuck, I've just been manipulated. I can imagine having the same realization of like, wow, I never thought about it that way, but I've been participating in that too from the other half. Mm um yeah and i'm just kind of grappling with like is that is there kind of a natural necessity of some like you do need gravity you do need a reason to pull people in um or yeah like like i say are there clean boundaries that you can just put in you're like if you spot this it's fucked yeah so that's a good question um i'm not gonna i'm kind of not gonna pick either option and i'll just describe some thoughts in response to that i can also like link you to some reading material there's some very good books later um 
so there's a I, I don't want to give the impression that that what I just described is entirely a thing that solely the cult leader is doing like mm -hmm. every dynamic. And this is kind of like one of my more controversial opinions or something like every dynamic is kind of much more collaborative than it might seem at first glance. And it's very popular. Um, you know, we have this concept of the drama triangle of like, oh, people really like to put themselves in like a perpetrator role or a victim role or cast other people in these roles or this rescuer role or whatever it's called. And the reality is like actually much more complicated. Than these. And so there's a similar thing. Like, I don't want to be too much casting the cult leader in a perpetrator role and everyone else in a victim role. It's much more complicated than that. Um, people like people who are already insecurely attached, who have insecure attachment in general are going to be drawn to these cult member roles. They're going to want to, on some level, wants to be manipulated in this way, in the same way that you like kind of wants to be in relationships that are really exciting, but really bad for you. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, it's very much like that. It, there's very much a collaboration between a person who like wants a father figure and a person who wants to be a father figure. And they're going to like collaborate to produce this dynamic that on some level they both want. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's going to happen. So like, that's the kind of thing that can happen to you. And I, I know people that this has happened to, uh, even if you're like a very impeccable and, and like upstanding leader. And like, you could still end up drawing people who just really want to turn you into a father figure to like alternately desperately want your approval and and rebel against you you know they want they're going to want to play out some psychodrama with you and like you can on i don't know how much you can do about that uh, if you run into someone like that i don't know if you run into someone like that i know other community leaders who have and it's been very unpleasant yeah. uh, it just really sucks to be in that with someone else who's like okay what can i don't know i know what to do about this you know it's like a it's, a, it's, it's like transference, like the, the psychoanalysis concept of transference. Like, okay, you're my dad now. <laughs> and fuck you. And also, please love me. <laughs> I'm so it's proud of you. <laughs> it's a very good situation to be in. So like, I think there are ways you can learn how to like decline to participate in that dynamic. Like, or like there are things you can do to encourage or discourage it. Like there's a, you know, the traditional cult leader, way of being where you're like absolutely confident about everything all the time you're like i know the truth here is the truth as it was revealed unto me here are my like my proclamations or whatever really encourages a kind of father projection thing we're like ah this is uh i've used the term uh, epistemic daddy on twitter before and a couple people like this oh, yeah this is the guy who knows everything i'm gonna just listen to him and it's gonna be fine he's gonna be my my truth daddy <laughs> i'm just gonna get all my truth from this guy and there's things you can do to discourage that. You can be like, I'm just some guy. I don't know what I'm doing. I've just, I've had to fuck around for a long time. Here's some stuff that I think, that I think I figured out, but like, who knows? And you can also, you can say that and mean it, or you can say that and not mean it, you know? Um, so like, so like there's, there's, there's some, you know, I personally have, I've in, I personally have been also drawn to being a kind of authority like I, I like being an authority. I like it when people pay attention to me. So like I, I also have some of these risk factors, you know, mm -hmm. and like I've, I've tried to be conscious of that. I've like uh, not sought out leadership positions and things like that. Just like I don't know if I'm if I can handle that <laughs> responsibility yet. Uh, so like I've had to I've had to like look at some of that stuff in myself of like, oh, yeah, where am I? You know, and people have complained about this to me, uh, to my face. They've been like, hey, like I like. I like there were ways in which you you have like uh, presented yourself as an authority figure, and that I have like bought into that in the past, and it's been very confusing and weird. And I'm like I've had to apologize to several people about this actually. Like, yep, 
you're right. That's absolutely a thing I was doing. It was bad. I regret doing it. I'm trying to do it less. <laughs> uh, so that's 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 been a thing. Uh, so that was that was not quite directly response to your question. So more directly response to your, but that that's an example of like a thing. Like I guess I, I see sort of uh, less in terms of a spectrum and more in terms of like a few discrete risk factors, and that's one of them. Is like the extent to which you're sort of presenting yourself as an absolute authority. Um, a related one is a very common thing that cult leaders will try to do is to present themselves as kind of the only option. Mm. Like I am the only way you will understand what's really going on, which is related to the truth thing. I am the only way you will ever, and this can, this can be explicit or implicit. Like I am the only way you'll ever access true goodness. I am the only way you'll ever access true love. Like everyone else out there, there's a very strong like us versus them thing that's very common. It's just like everyone else out there is confused. They're like deluded, they're asleep, they're sheeple. You know, there's million, millions of ways to say this. One way or another, a very common pattern is everyone out there is confused. This group and me are the only people who are not confused. Therefore, you have to be here if you want to know what's going on. And if you if you leave, then you are just going to hang out with all the other people who don't know what's going on. This is very common, very dangerous, but also it's, it's not that hard to tell whether it's happening. You know, like that one's a, it's kind of binary. Like, like it's not that continuous, I think, whether someone's doing that or not. Yeah. And you can just be aware of that. Just be like, ah, yeah, these, these guys sure do want me to believe that they're the only people who know what's going on. Like that's, mm, that's, mm, yeah, I don't, mm, I don't know about that. It, it's been like, uh, so one of the things I've been doing to kind of recover from this experience is to just hang out and talk about sort of spiritual and emotional things on Twitter, which has actually been really helpful along this dimension for me to just get to see that mm -hmm. there are very wise people who are everywhere they're just everywhere like what like I, i've come to really appreciate the sense in which the things that i was looking for are abundant and it's not just like one person or one group of people that like has the has any kind of um, monopoly on truth it's like ah yes there are, there's wisdom everywhere that's crazy it's all and there are some people who are willing to be very generous with it who are just kind of doling it out all the time like that's awesome not just people on twitter but also the people that people on twitter quote mm -hmm. you know the people they admire and look up to and like like the the you know like alan watts and carl sagan you know whoever you want to point to like ah yes there's actually like a whole a long human historical tradition of wisdom there have been deeply wise people in human history who wrote down their thoughts and i can read them that's crazy that's really cool like i don't have to like get all of my wisdom from one fucked up guy in the bay area <laughs> it's everywhere like that's really that's, that's been really a relief to know that mm. it's abundant so that yeah so that's like another kind of discrete warning sign is like are you presenting yourself as like the only source of love or truth or goodness so these like deeply important things right because i think generally i think of people a thing that people don't appreciate about cults and a thing that really felt like an important component of my experience is like a cult isn't like just a bunch of bad stuff because otherwise why would wouldn't people just leave it's like people generally feel like they're getting something deeply deeply vital and important to them that they don't feel like they can get anywhere else that at a minimum they they have never seen available anywhere else that's how that's the really sticky thing like oh like i need this and i can't get it anywhere else so i guess i have to stick around no matter how bad it gets because you know there's this nutrient that i deeply deeply need that 
is here and I don't see it anywhere. And that sucks. That's like a that's like a sad situation to be in, you know. And so there's like a yeah, so I guess as a community leader, there's sort of a question that you could ask of like how free do people feel to leave on one level or another? Not just, you know, physically. It's not like it's never like, oh, I'm like you can't leave because I'll shoot you or whatever. It's like, it's never anything quite so simple as that, but it's like, how free do, how, how much do people feel like they, they are kind of socially abundant that if they needed to, they could get their social needs spent somewhere else. Yeah. Um, versus how much is this like the only place where people are getting certain needs met? And that's kind of like a, I won't call it a red flag, but if that's happening, it's kind of like a yellow flag. Like, okay. Yeah. If this is the only place where certain needs can get met, that's like, that, that requires a little delicacy and sensitivity. Uh, a bunch of thoughts are coming up that I want to yeah. just touch on. Um, um, in a in a weird way, actually, that's related to the fear thing. The as as in like having a having existential risk and apocalypse and the end of the world as the center of gravity is. Yeah, it's about the stakes are so high. Yeah, um, like. Well, this is the only place that I can get belonging and acceptance and wisdom and the good ideas. Then, well, of course I'm going to put up with these terrible feelings because it's better than the alternative of being abandoned in the wilderness with nothing. Like, mm -hmm. I'd rather have a wise person that feels bad to be around than no wisdom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. that's the choice. Exactly. Um, I think two of the practical pieces that spring to mind for me is like, well, just thinking about how much this is related to family dynamics that you mentioned, the father dynamic. Um, my perspective on it is that these kind of parent-child things in a literal family, part of the way that those like we're so susceptible to those dynamics in a in a nuclear family because there's such a huge power distance between the, the parents and the children mm. and that you might be less susceptible if you're in a family context where there's just like a much a much much more power much more of a power gradient so you've got like siblings and cousins and uncles and aunties and this this kind of like there's not just one adult that is giving you the source of truth, but there's actually this network of adolescents and grandparents and, you know, like there's just lots yeah. of different. Um, and by the same token, I think in the community structure, this is kind of something that has been really important to me just intuitively, but it's kind of helped pinning it down. Is like, why do we want to have a much more even power distance within the community? If there's not one obvious authority, but there's like multiple different kinds of authority and it's always moving. And like, mm. you, you've got this kind of like dynamic leadership where, oh, well on this issue we go there, but on this issue we go to this person and no one really knows because sometimes we just have to figure it out together in a circle. And um, yeah, I always take a lot of pains to, to like actively cultivate the leadership of as many people as possible, preferably everyone. It's not always everyone's up for it, but like yeah. finding ways to cultivate their status because then it's like, okay, yeah, we might have some weird attachment dynamic. You might be projecting some daddy issues on me and I might be getting a kick out of it somehow. <laughs> um, but so long as there's another adult in the room, because this, this happens, you know, it's, it's kind of like probably 
five or ten percent of the people I would encounter in community, like we have some kind of dynamic like that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's them or it's just us, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so long as there's another adult, then it's fine. You know, like often it will be Nazi, my partner, because uh, she also has a certain amount of status in the community. And she can say, like, you're getting into a drama triangle here. Mm. Stop it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nice. do not do not participate. Um, and I can easily, like, like, there's one person in particular where we had a difficult interaction. It's like, okay, next time that we talk, I'm going to have a third party there. It might be Nazi, it might be someone else, but just, like, just break that dynamic if there's going to be if you can feel this kind of like unhealthy uh, power play that's going on um so that's just like a, a plus one on the strategy that i already had but now feeling it more importantly like if this is yeah. if there's one important guru figure like of course everyone's going to get attached to them but if you have like 15 different gurus of different flavors it's less yeah it's kind of like the gravity is a bit more evenly spread yeah yeah i like that so it's a little um, tricky. So as, as a comment on that, like yeah. a, another common structure in these cult stories that I read is like there will be a guru who will kind of accrete around them a shell of other people that will be like the inner circle. Yeah. And like if you see a group that has a structure like this, you might at first think that there's sort of multiple folk, multiple leadership positions because like these people will have like more responsibilities and stuff. But it's still kind of all centered around the guru and the guru's attention and the guru's approval. And and the, uh, the inner circle is just like, first of all, it's people who like enable everything, who like kind of cover up the gurus, cover up stuff. And like, you know, in the, the worst cases, like literally bring women to the guru. <laughs> like that's a very common thing that they do. They become procurers. Um, but there's like, they just like become a web of enablers basically. And, and everyone else wants to get into the inner circle. So like, oh, those are the people that he lavishes the most attention and approval on. So they'll like become desperate to like enter the inner circle. So that is like, it kind of looks like multiple leadership positions, but it's just not really, it's really still just a shell around the groove. So there's there's some discernment of like, is, are there truly really multiple leadership? Yeah. Multiple leaders. But which yeah, that could, sounds cool. Which you could see, for example, if a bunch of those inner circle people were taking on initiatives that the guru didn't particularly like, but they still happened. And yeah, exactly. There was no exactly. negative consequences, you know, it's like, yeah, there's yeah, a bunch exactly. of different shit going on. That, that, um, would, be, that would be great, yeah, for sure. The other piece is quite closely related to that. It's just like, um, again, I've had this intuitive design principle and I'm just seeing why, uh, which is about teaching people the methods of building community so that it, it does feel more abundant. It's like, okay, we're building community here. If it doesn't work for some reason, that's fine. Here are the mechanisms and the processes. Like, if, you don't, if, you, if it doesn't work here, go and do it somewhere else for yourself and, and make your own adaptation. Nice. Um, we're not the single source, you know, like the, there's lots of different ways to do this. You can do it, yeah. on your, you know, you can start on your own with like kind of no resources and uh, with a few ideas and a bit of enthusiasm, like you'll find your way. You, so yeah, giving people the actual, the practical tools, you know, like how do you actually, how do you actually do it? That's, yeah. that's pretty important for me. Cause yeah, again, like it, it lowers the stakes. It's like, well, okay. Mm. Cause again, there was like one person that I had a bit of attention with uh at Inspiral a couple of years ago and it was kind of like escalating tension and eventually they went to another community and they really uh, like the new community and it's like oh uh, there's <laughs> nice. like no drama um nice. i'm noticing my brain is starting to reach the end of the day slope 
Um, this has been really helpful for me. Um, yeah, especially just thinking about the ways that really good culture building is immediately adjacent to cult building. Um, I, yeah, I feel like I just want to get more and more insight into that dynamic and, and talking yeah. with you helps. And um, I would be happy to, there are two books. So the one I already mentioned about cults and attachments, and then this other book called The Guru Papers, mm, which I gets into kind of, yeah, yeah. So I can send you the attachment book. They're, they're both great reads. Great. I sort of feel like this stuff is, is sort of required reading for someone who wants to host a community. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> Because it's, it's, it's so, so damaging. Like there's so many people that have an experience that you did and then come out the other side and they're like, never again. I just won't trust anyone. It'll be just me yeah. and like my nuclear family or something and that's it. Right. Which again, like I value the, the analogy to romantic relationships here because in romantic relationships, we have this concept of like, you can go through an absolutely devastating breakup and be like, I'll never love again. And everyone knows that it's possible to overcome that, that it's possible to heal one's broken heart and like find love again. People, mm. that's a thing that people understand because we've seen it in movies and stuff. And we don't have that same understanding for community and cults yet, I don't think. Like mm. you can be heartbroken by a community and like people aren't going to be around to tell you like you can find another community. That's like not a message that people have ever received. I mean, we don't even talk about cults and community that much really. Uh, it's just not a thing that people know about. And so like I, 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 I want somehow for there to be more sort of a, a more cultural awareness around these kinds of dynamics and more like, cause I do think this is a thing that happens to a lot of people. I think a lot of people that I'm close to have in one way or another been like heartbroken by a community mm -hmm. in this way mm -hmm. and like have not found another one <laughs> Yeah, or have found another one, but it's Twitter, which is, you know, there's a certain level of, I don't, you know, we're not committed to each other yet on Twitter. We could be, that could be really cool, but we're not yet right now. We're just kind of hanging out this is like the distance at which we feel safe. It's like, yep, here we are hanging out. <laughs> yeah. um, that phrase being heartbroken by community, I think has got a resonance to it that could call forward a lot of stories. Um, on, the, on the subject of like movies and culture, pop culture, I think the closest that comes to mind is, is all of the TV shows about organized crime. Mm. Um, like I'm watching the Ozarks at the moment and it's like Breaking Bad or whatever, you know, like there's a cartel, everyone's like in these really fucked up dynamics. Um, and so much of it has the same, it's daddy issues, you know, it's like, yeah, it's fucked <laughs> up, but I want, I want to be accepted. And yeah, there's like the threat of violence, but there's also the, the promise of approval, you know, this mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, I'd rather stay with the person who, even though they treat me like shit, like at least occasionally they give me that attachment that I need. Yep. Um, the other one is Succession, which is the show about like the fucked up corporate culture in in, yeah. in, news, in the US, and it's like same thing, you know, like really fucked up work cultures. Same dynamics are playing out, uh, but we don't think about that as community. But for a lot mm. of people, that is the sort of primary community that we got. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking of one person in particular who was like specifically burned by a very bad work experience, like just a really horrible boss kind of thing. It's like, yeah, that is also a kind of heartbreak like, hmm. yeah hmm. yeah it just makes me um i don't know like almost it's like i've been in community spaces where we have a grief circle and it's like there's a space to grieve 
bad shit that's happened. And, and it's kind of like, I want to have a space where people can pro process some of that heartbreak. Because it, it lingers, you know? It's like, it needs to, yeah. yep. it needs to be cleared <laughs> out some way. For sure, yeah. Um, I'm going to press pause here. Uh, and I also feel like there's a million more things to talk about. So perhaps, yeah. perhaps this is not the end for you and me. Yeah, I would love to follow up. I also feel like I could keep, I could keep going. Yeah, there's a lot of things to say. <laughs>